Welcome back to America's Talking. I'm Austin Berg. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Harry Nathan Gottlieb. Harry's the founder of Unify America, Jackbox Games, and Jellyvision. For the last 25 years, Harry has focused on making learning and decision-making delightful and creating unique games that bring people together. With Unify America, he's now trying to bring Americans together to directly participate in solving big problems by deliberating multiple solutions together. Thanks for joining us, Harry. I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks. So uh, Harry is behind many hit games that I'm sure you or your family have played, games like You Don't Know Jack and uh, Quiplash. And one thing I was really curious about, Harry, is when you were starting those things, it strikes me that you were doing so in Chicago. And whereas today in Chicago, we have a really robust kind of ecosystem of multimedia and startup culture and tech and all of this stuff that was far different or non-existent at the time that you were starting. So I really wanted to ask you how you got into sort of game design and multimedia sort of from the beginning. Yeah, there was a whole lot of not much happening in <laughs> Chicago at the time. There's now these ecosystems where if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, you can join one of 12 accelerators and mentors will like come out of the woodwork for you and people have money. And I had like my father and my uncle Leonard, who like was a <laughs> lawyer and, you know, knew how to incorporate a company and that was it. That's all I had. But um, I, my background is actually in filmmaking. So I am self-taught in filmmaking. I mean, I started when I was a little kid doing Super 8 movies and then got like a video camera and started doing videos, which of course now everyone does, but back then it was actually pretty unusual. Uh, and so started off actually creating an educational film company. And I was very interested in making films that would educate, but would also be really fun and funny to engage people in the learning. And then multimedia showed up, you know, the ability to have a computer that you can interact with. And I thought, well, this is great. You know, it's fine to make a movie and they just watch the movie, but if I can talk directly to people through the screen, that's a huge opportunity. So I also sort of taught myself how to program. I mean, not I'm, I'm no great engineer, um, but enough to create some prototypes and, uh, and just develop this approach to having people interact with a screen where there is a, a, a voiced character on the other side that seems to be alive and aware and responding to your inputs. And so both Jellyvision and Jackbox are based on that approach to human machine interface. M meaning like if you're playing a, a, a Jackbox game, there's a host, you do things based on what you do, the host says very specific things. So it feels like they're kind of alive. And we with Jellyvision, we did that in a whole variety of ways. But uh, for the last 10, 12 years, we've had this product called Alex, which helps you select your medical insurance in a way that's fun and easy. And it's just a guy, you know, talking with you. So, so hey, so, you know, do you have any kids? You know, tell me a little bit about, you know, how often you go to the doctor. And then it, in the background crunches all these numbers and, and says, here's probably the medical plan you want. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I, I really want to talk today about a lot of those principles of game design and how you applied them in other fields. Cause I think that's a really great one where 
I feel stuck in an endless loop that maybe for the next 40 years, I'm going to be constantly resetting passwords to things that I don't know. And just these like needless, endless forms that you have to fill out gives me a lot of anxiety. And the fact that you're able to use like, hey, what if Hellinger's was as easy as talking to someone and they asked you normal questions and you could just talk back to them is so profound. Um, in that vein, there was someone uh, I wanted to talk to you about. So the there's a psychologist, developmental psychologist that has rose to prominence a lot in the last few years called Jean Piaget. I think he was a Swiss uh, developmental psychologist. Jean Piaget, yeah. Well, yeah, yes. he's, he's, yeah, no, he's a, he's, 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 he's a major. legend, right? Yeah, he's a legend, yeah, yeah, it's but... a legend. And I think I only know about him because he, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson started bringing him to prominence in a lot of his work. So I feel like a lot of schmucks like me who know nothing about that world, they're like, yeah, I know this one developmental psychologist, it's Jean Piaget. And, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like one of his core insights is that um, children's moral development isn't uh, developed by or is, isn't constructed simply by having rules given to them and following those rules, but rather are emergent through play and interaction in groups. So I'm curious how in your work, especially in game design or just in education or with kids, some insights that you've had over the years um, um, working in education and games. Well, it's been a long time since I studied Piaget. I mean, I studied Piaget in college. Um, so I'll take it. I'll take your word for for it that that yeah, my that, vast oversimplification <laughs> of this legendary <laughs> body of work. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that's fascinating about people when you put people together, and this is something that we've we've really seen over and over again, thousands and thousands of times, with Unify America. We. Our core uh, kind of introductory program that people can participate in is called the Unified Challenge. And what we do is we, we take two Americans, often different politically, but different in some ways, someone that you would very unlikely ever run into, you know, in the world that you're living in. We kind of put, take people from two different worlds and put them together. And we, uh, we asked them to do a survey together on what should our goals be for America. And they, they answer the survey questions individually, but they discuss each of the questions together. And there's a lot of nervousness going into the unified challenge because you think, oh my God, am I going to get into a fight, all the polarization? There's a thing that happens when you put two people together and there's nobody else watching we are wired to want to get along. We're wired to want to get along. We never have issues. People, we have some icebreaker questions so people can get to know each other and they see each other as human beings. And even if they really do have very different kind of ideological perspectives, what people find through this process is one, as they're doing the survey, like, oh my gosh, we actually want the same end results. Like, it's not asking, do you, the, the questions in the survey are not asking, uh, are you for a border wall? Are you for Medicare for all? It's asking questions like, should, should we be able to know and determine who is coming in and out of the United States? Should we have high quality health care that's affordable for everyone? Like, what are the end results we want to achieve? Because a border wall and Medicare for all, these are tactics. These are just a way to get to a goal. And in the United States, we've lost 
sight of the goal. So that's the first thing that people realize. But the second thing that people realize is it's not that hard without a whole bunch of education or shaming or finger wagging or rules that people really are able to talk to each other. And that when people have different perspectives, there is a wonderful feeling of hearing an idea or a way of seeing the world that you had not thought of before. And it's coming from a good place. Most of us, we, we demonize each other, but it's, it's crazy because you talk to Americans and we, we almost all of us want the world to be a better place. We just have a different idea about how to get there, but we want the world to be a better place. And I can say that with some level of expertise because I traveled the country in 2019. And when the pandemic came in, I started doing it all on, on, um, uh, uh, on video conferencing. I talked to a lot of different Americans. I mean, you know, the whole spectrum. And some, some Americans, I mean, some of us are super weird, <laughs> but it's absolutely consistent. We all aspire for the world to be a better place. And if we started with that and can talk to people in a way that's non-judgmental. So back to your point, though, this happens automatically when you put two people together in a room together right. with nobody watching. Right. It's just, it's, it's natural. At any age, too, right? At, really, at any age, yeah. You put two kids to room together. I mean, obviously, this depends on, maybe it depends a little bit on the kids. But by and large, kids want to get along. They want to be friends. And it's the same thing with adults. That's why we can sit next to somebody on the plane and get into a huge conversation with them. Totally. Yeah. Proximity breeds, what is it? I don't love familiarity. There's some famous rates about proximity, but totally. Yes. And, and there's, so you talked, we talked a little bit before we started taping about sort of a, a, an inspirational experience that you had. Uh, working in a school or, or doing research at a school. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. What I should probably do is tell you like what we're trying to do with Unify America. Yes. And that story will make a little more sense. Let's do that first. T okay. Tell me about why you left the um, creative, collaborative, joy-filled world of game design and creation and pivoted to politics, which is the exact opposite of that in order to change the world to be creative and collaborative is the actual short answer. But let me be a little more specific. If you're an American who does not believe that we Americans are going to fix our country's problems by fighting and want to be part of a solution that leads our nation away from politics toward cooperative problem solving, toward making cooperative problem solving an intrinsic function of our democracy, the very way our democracy works, then we are the organization for you because that is what we're all about. We are, we're we are going to solve the problem of how we solve our problems so that we can solve our problems. And we are totally going to have a good time doing it. Mm. So that's, that's what we're doing. And if, if you want, I can explain sort of the how a little bit, because it, it probably sounds like very idealistic, but- it's, I would very much, what, what sort of principles have you brought from your experience to that problem, which is seemingly intractable and, and big and scary? It is not intractable. It's not intractable. I mean, we've had intractable 
problems in the United States. I mean, there's times where we had people who were enslaved. We had, you know, hundreds of years where women were assumed to be inferior. Well, like we have overcome extraordinary problems. Um, this one is overcomable too. Um, but let's, to, to, to give you a framing, let's talk about how we do it now. Imagine, if you will, uh, there's a neighborhood and there's an intersection without any traffic control and school kids are crossing it on their way to school and the parents in the neighborhood are worried. Somebody's going to get hit by a car. So they all get together, the parents in the neighborhood, and the leader of this group says, look, I've got a solution and we all need to get behind this. Let's block off the sidewalk on both sides of the street. Who's with me? And the neighbors then all start fighting. But that is a terrible idea. Somebody else says, I think that's a good idea. What, are you an idiot? No, you're the idiot. <laughs> and then, you know, you hope they calm down and compromise on something that will solve the problem. So that's pretty much how Congress works and every legislature in the country. I mean, it's, 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 not, I'm not, it's not a joke. It's the way our system works. There's three steps. First, a lawmaker introduces a bill, a solution. Second, because not everybody likes a solution, there's a fight about it. And then third, we hope a compromise emerges that serves the common good. That is a crazy way to try to solve problems. Like no one would design a system like that. But when you ask people, what, what else could we do? Well, let's go back to our like neighborhood meeting. The leader says, hey, everybody, let's start being really, let's start by being really clear about our shared goal. Let me just throw something out. Do we think the goal is this? Let's make sure our kids can get to school safely. And everybody agrees. The problem is around the intersection, but the, the goal is that for kids to get to school safely. And then the neighborhood leader says, great, now that we know what the end result is that we all want to achieve, let's come up with a half a dozen ways that we can achieve that goal. And then let's start examining the pros and cons of each of them together. And you know what we'll do? We'll do a series of votes and we'll just start to narrow it down from six votes, six solutions to four solutions to one shared solution. We'll We'll do it together. We'll try to build a consensus. That is the way it could work. That's the way it could work in the United States. We could solve our problems in these three steps. Identify a shared goal, deliberate through multiple solutions, and narrow it down to a shared solution in a process that builds consensus. And we could do this with citizens. And eventually, we can do it inside our legislatures. Like this is the alternative to the way that we, we do it now. And the unified challenge, as I was saying earlier, proves out that we really do have shared goals. That's not elusive. We mostly have shared. At one point, we had uh, 50 questions in the unified challenge. It's cut down quite a bit to give people more time to talk. But we had 50 questions. And we'd have, on the one hand, a hardcore Trump supporter. And on the other hand, we'd have a hardcore Bernie supporter. And they'd go through this together. And Austin, guess how many out of those 50 questions, goals for America, did they agree on? Oh, wow. Based on how you framed the first one, I would maybe 50, 70, 50%, let's say. Yeah. So I'm thinking of one particular pair. 
but this was, um, this was, this was typical 45 out of 50. Whew. I mean, they disagreed on like whether abortion should be illegal, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. But what they agreed on is that we should work to reduce unintended pregnancies, for example. So we mostly, we Americans mostly have the same goals. Well, if we have the same goals, we can stop demonizing each other. We want the same end results. Now we need just the process by which we can look at solutions together instead of just like, this is a solution. This is, this is a democratic solution. This is a Republican solution, the liberal solution, the conservative solution. Like just let's look at all the solutions and just weigh the pros and cons and, and, and pick one together through a process that creates, that creates consensus. It's a really, really, really cool model. And I encourage everyone to take the Unify Challenge and check out the work uh, that Unify America is doing. It's extremely interesting. I'm curious, Harry, in your one, talking to all of these folks across the country and two, sort of designing these experiences, it seems to me in this sort of problem-solving approach, there comes a point at which there is some kind of implementation step and we may not, and there may not be a hundred percent agreement or consent on what that is. What you're saying, I think, is at the margin. There's so much more agreement, and you know, in this under this framework, than there would be with the other framework of the I'm I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to impose it on everybody. Do you see that there are some issues where almost necessarily there is um, there's going to be people? Ex- in other words. When a lot of people talk about consensus, they think, well, when both sides are a little are kind of angry about what happened, that's that's good consensus. In the back of my head, I'm like, well, yeah, kind of, but it's also people are still kind of maybe really angry at each other at the end of the day. Do you find that there are some issues where inevitably there is just just sort of conflict at this this end result, like imposition kind of stage of of uh, whatever choice that they're making, or can we truly get consensus on on every issue? Really? Well, you're, you're not, let's, when we talk about consensus with very, very large groups of people, we're not talking about 100% under any circumstances. But, mm-hmm. but I don't think that getting, if people actually go through a deliberative process of narrowing down from multiple solutions together, I don't think getting to 75 or even 80% of a group of people who've really spent time actually examining the issue is, is impossible. If when you get to the end of the process, the question is, okay, we're down to this, 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 this kind of most, the most popular of the solutions after this narrowing process, then there's kind of a confirmation step. And the confirmation step is asking, not do you vote for this or against this? It's, do you want to vote for the status quo because it's better for us to maintain the status quo? Like if we implement this solution, it's going to be worse than the status quo. Or after looking at multiple solutions and having all these people, all these minds on it, many citizens, narrowing down to this one solution, or will this solution be better than the status quo? Because that's the question. And so we would frame it that way. And in that context, I think getting, like as I say, 75 or 80% of the people to say, I don't love it. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than the status quo. Let's, let's, let's progress and move forward. There's a really interesting line from uh, 
a thinker that I really enjoy reading named Nassim Taleb. And he wrote The Black Swan and Anti-Fragile and books like this. And he had a quote where he said, it would be appropriate to be, for instance, a libertarian at the federal level, level a uh, Republican at the state level, a Democrat at the city level, and a socialist at the family and friends level. Because he was talking about scale and how decisions are different at scale. So I'm wondering with your process, how you, you've, you, especially in the game field, I feel like Jackbox, for instance, the scale is just enormous. You design this sort of these rules and then millions of people kind of participate in these, the same kind of ecosystem with, where the same, the rules are the same every time. Um, with this sort of decision-making process, how do you think about scale? Do we need to have something different um, when there's federal decision-making, when there is, as you said, sort of like the block club deciding what a crosswalk should be? Or can the principles really be the same? I think the principles are exactly the same. I think start with a shared goal, deliberate through multiple solutions, narrow to a shared solution. It's not, it's not the, whether there are what we aspire to someday a national deliberation with a million plus American citizens participating and taking advantage of digital technology to do so, to deliberate in small groups together so that it's not just learning about the different solutions, but actually getting to talk to people about it and hear other people's perspectives to really dig into it. I, I believe in the wisdom of Americans when we have lots of minds together. I, and it could also be just this neighborhood, small group of people in a neighborhood. I think the principles are are exactly the same. Your your point about Jackbox and how we set up the rules, it, the way that we solve our problems is a game right now. We think it is a game that one side can win. We think it, and then we operate like that. But I think we all know that when you win by 51%, everyone loses. And so we need to change the rules of the game. We need to change the rules of the game where the way you win, the only way you win is to win together. Now, I wanna get back to your earlier question about the inspiration, but there's a second area of inspiration. Uh, I served on a jury and it was not, a, it was not like a big, you know, murder case or something, you know, like you put on TV. It was, it was a car accident. Um, but what's so interesting when you sit in a jury is that the way that people argue and debate with each other is completely different than in almost any other context. Because the only way you win is for every one of the 12 people to agree. So in that game structure, everyone automatically just starts operating differently. You listen better. This is, I mean, I think we should have training to be on a jury. Yeah. Like not like it's, but I think like it would be, it would be, it would be helpful. helpful. Yeah. It would be helpful. It would be helpful. Um, that said, without even any training, you just see how people don't just be like, well, you don't know what you're talking about and walk out because there's no walking out. No one wants to sit through a, you know, a whole trial and then have a hung jury. Like that's a loss and everybody loses, everyone loses. So it is a really special feature of American life. And so that was a real eye opener of like, wow, if we change the game of how we solve our problems, 
So the whole structure of the game is set up that we either win together or lose together. We might actually start winning together because right now we're, we're mostly only losing together in the belief that the game can be won by one side. Right. And I think the jury example is really interesting too, because obviously the outcomes are often wrong. You know, that's, it's not, they're not a hundred percent perfect. Right. No, but they're not, they're, they're not, quite, they're, they're quite because humans are fallible, but in terms of the, uh, the shared goal and people leaving there, no one's leaving a jury with this feeling of uh, necessarily polarization about the outcome that was arrived at. Everybody, everybody worked together to render something that might not be right, but over time, we, we, we hope to get it right through many, many ver- you know, iterations of that same process, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, not every jury is, is going to get it right out of the, you know, the, the thousands and thousands that serve in this country every year. Um, however, I challenge you to come up with a better way of doing like, you know, it's, it's right. as compared good, to what, as opposed to one person making the decision, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it requires the jury to really take the, the work seriously. It requires the lawyers to be good. Um, and to present the cases clearly. I mean, there's a whole bunch of ways that things can go sideways in the execution, but by and large, it's a very, in the, in game parlance, it's a well-constructed game. So I, I want you to get to your second piece of in- inspiration, Harry, and then we should close by telling people how they can get involved in Unify America. Yeah. So before um, we began the podcast, you were saying that your wife works at Old Orchard Middle School. Uh, in Skokie, Illinois. And when I was doing uh, educational multimedia in the 90s, my staff and I, a small group of us, visited Old Orchard Middle School. And most of the classes were looked like exactly the classes when I was in middle school. And it was sort of a little depressing. Like it was like 15 years later, and like it's, it looks the same, except one classroom. In that one classroom, the teacher was using a software program by an organization called Tom Snyder. And they had been the champions of what they called the one computer classroom. This is back in the days where, like, if you had a computer, that was a pretty big deal. And the computer did very, very little. It posed a question in a fictional story. So the one that I was sitting in on was the question was, should we colonize the moon? You know, it was a, and, um, or should we not colonize the moon? Like we, it was like America. Should the Americans colonize the moon? And the class is set up where the kids are all actually facing each other, not, not the school board, uh, the chalkboard. And the teacher said almost nothing the entire class other than calling on kids. And so the kids would raise their hand and say, and she'd call on them, and, and, and she'd call them by saying, like, uh, President Berg. And President Berg would say, uh, I believe that we should colonize the moon, and then would provide their rationale. And then well, do you remember what grade they were? It would have been whatever, I sixth or eighth, it was, if, I, I if anyone like needs to picture grade, it yeah. in their head. Yeah. yeah. And then another kid would raise his hand, like, I, I respectfully disagree with President Berg, the reason that we should not colonize the moon and then would provide their reason. And then 
they had these booklets where they would read from the booklets these more fictional characters who would provide points of view, pro and con on colonizing the moon from different perspectives. So they got expert opinion in it. And for the, whatever it was, 52 minutes, you know, school classroom, 52 minutes of this classroom, these kids were completely engaged, totally involved. The teacher said almost nothing. And of course, what they were doing was earnestly and respectfully debating a decision to be made. And I thought this, like, someday we need to be able to, to actually work like this in order to solve our problems in the United States. It was one of the first moments that I had that feeling, which has ulti ultimately led to piloting what is now Unify America in 93 and 94, which I did for about nine or 10 months. And was, it, was, it was too early for a number of reasons and put it on the shelf. You know, worked for 25 years creating these interactive computer companies and then came back to it. But that was, that was an early inspiration. Beautiful. So to close, what is one thing we can do to start reducing polarization and solving our problems together? What should our audience do? You should go to unifyamerica.org. Uh, we have a, uh, an event coming up on May 18th, so you don't even have to wait long. It's called the Unify Challenge. I mentioned it earlier. You sign up. We ask you a few questions about yourself and on May 18th at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You show up online and we will pair you with another American, put you into your own little room and give you a series of questions to work through together. And I'm telling you, it's the response that people have. It's hope is what it is. That's the response, hope. So if you are looking for hope that we really can solve our problems, go sign up for the Unify Challenge at unifyamerica.org. Ladies and gentlemen, Harry, Nathan, Gottlieb, thanks for your time. Thanks for talking.